Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John, who is writing this, um, has been pastor to a group of little churches um, spread across. And um, what's been happening in this period of time is some people have, have not really grappled with the idea of Jesus' death and resurrection as something to steer your lives by and are taking the excuse and trying to convince others that it's okay to, one, deny that Jesus rose from the dead, which is the, the, the principal claim of being a Christian, but two, to sort of try and get the freedom to go and do whatever they want to do. Um, the, if everybody around them in the, the world that they're living in, remember this is uh, just during and post the, the, maybe during the Roman Empire, where um, ideas about paganism were rife, the ideas about sexual morality hadn't been sort of um, steered by a Christian perspective on that. So the, the new, new Christians would be living amongst people who went to the pagan temples and had temple prostitutes there. They would be living amongst people for whom adultery wasn't really a big issue. So when John pens this uh, letter, he's writing to a group of people for whom he wants to remind of the first principles so that when someone comes and knocks on their door and says, hey, you know you only live once. Why don't you go and experience everything that you could possibly experience in this one life that you're living? The new Christian would say, actually, no, because if I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then this life in this time is not the only life I am going to live. So I can't steer my life now by what I'm able to receive and get now. I have to steer it by what eternity looks like. And that's where I would work out what is valuable in my life. So this uh, letter, which comes like a poetic sermon, is, is, is here to say to the people who are reading it and who will take it to each other's little groups and read it together. It's to say to them, when someone comes to teach you anything, perk up your ears, keep an ear out to hear whether they are saying that Jesus lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. John is saying to them, and this is before the creed has been formed, affirm your faith and let what you affirm of your faith inform what you receive from people. So it doesn't matter what they come with. If they come with great words and the, the marvelous orators, if they're not saying to you, Jesus died for you, and because he lives, you have eternal life. If you believe in him, they're not speaking of God. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Verse 2, 
Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of those who are against Christ, the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Jesus has come in the flesh. God has come in the flesh to dwell among us, Emmanuel. And this is who he is, Mary's boy, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Now, that's not a strange message. We have it currently. We recite the creed every Friday. We recite the creed every Sunday to remind ourselves of those things we should perk our ears towards. If the teacher is not teaching you, Jesus, the Son of God, died, resurrected, ascended, seated at the right hand of God, they're not teaching you what is of God. They're not teaching you what is of God. It is a warning to those of us who teach, because the temptation is to make everybody feel better about whatever's going on in their lives, to give people cotton buds, to stitch up wounds and things like that. But actually, if we don't hark back to this point, then we miss the mark. Then we miss the mark. And so with that in mind, it brings us back up to the little bit of poetry here about Cain and Abel. There is something about athletes. Those who really excel at what they do give everything to it. They give everything to it. There is currently um, a holder of four heavyweight boxing belts. His name's Anthony Joshua. You, you probably wouldn't have heard of him, but if you, if you had, this is part of the story with him. He, before he went to the Olympics, used to work part-time as an apprentice to a bricklayer. So his part-time job was to go lay bricks. And when he got selected to go and represent Great Britain in the Olympics, um, they gave him a wage that would free him to be able to go and devote all his time to preparing for these boxing bouts. But the wage wasn't enough. It wasn't, it wasn't quite enough for him to live the life that he wanted to live. So he carried on working less hours as a bricklayer. But what it meant was the time that he was supposed to recover so that he could train the next day, he was working. And that began to affect his ability to prepare. So the coach came to him and said to him, how badly do you want to succeed in this particular sport? You have all the gifts the things that people cannot get. Your size, you couldn't have bought for money. That's something you have just received. Your physicality is something you wouldn't have bought for money. It's a gift. How much do you believe in what you're capable of achieving? If you really believe in this thing, then steer your life by it. Sacrifice towards it. And the young man, what did he do? He gave up the bricklaying job. He 
lived within the means that he was given, and he made it his sole focus to train and prepare himself. He went to the Olympics, and he won gold. Four years later, on his 10th fight, he won a world championship. On his 16th fight, he won another belt. Now he's got one left, one left to be undisputed across the globe. His work ethic hasn't changed. He doesn't wait until he has a fight before he trains. He trains all the time so that he's always ready for a fight. And the reason he beats his opponents up is because they train for fights and don't dedicate the amount of time that he has given towards what he's aiming towards. What do we find in the story of Cain and Abel, if not this idea? If you really believe everything you receive is a gift from God, and you understand him for who he is, you are compelled to give of your best. Not just some of your best. And what happens is, Abel brings the first fruits. Cain brings some of the fruit. One really believes that the thing he needs to steer himself by is this deep relationship with God. And the other one just wants to get it done. Wants to get it done. It's no surprise that God receives the offering of one and rejects the offering of the other. And what's the warning from God to Cain? The warning from God to Cain is, sin is crouching at your door. It's crouching at your door. If you master it, if you master it, you will be fine. What's God saying to him? The thing that's surrounding you at the minute is this idea that you are, the definition for sin is like an archer pulling on a bow with an arrow, shooting, and then missing the mark that he's aimed for, you know? So God is saying to him, yes, you're aiming. You've got the bow, you've got the arrow, you're doing the thing, giving sacrifices of the things that you have grown in the land is not a bad thing. It, you're doing the right thing, but you're missing the mark because your focus, the reason why you're doing this thing is wrong. So this lack of focus is, is stopping you achieving the thing that you are supposed to achieve. If you can master it, you will be magnificent at what it is that you're doing, and I will receive the sacrifice because you will be giving of your best. But Cain doesn't respond to that positively. Ends up killing his brother. Ends up killing his brother. This is an important story to put just before the conversation about steering your life by the knowledge of Christ crucified because it tells us one thing, when God was going to do the thing that he wanted to do, which is to love and lavish his love on humanity, he didn't just give some of his fruits. With a deep focus, he gave his absolute best. He took aim 
at our worst enemy, which is death. And he didn't miss. He went straight towards death as a human being to face it how we would face it. He went straight through life as a human being to face it how we would face it. So that when he overcame, the victory could be ours also. So the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. John is saying to these guys, if you dilute the story of God giving his best for us, you miss the gift that God actually gives to us. You miss the sacrifice that he makes for us. You miss God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And what you're left with is perishing and not having everlasting life and believing in things that can't actually help you in your life. Believing in idols which will fall apart. Believing in sex which will die out and dry out. And the affirmation you receive from it only lasts for a moment. So you have to go back again and again and again, leaving a trail of brokenness. You will believe in things that cannot sustain you. You will miss God's mark and you will miss your own mark. And for this race that he has called you to run, you need to be dedicated. So when someone comes to teach you something, test the spirit. If they're a coach saying to you, believe in what it is that God has called you to do. Run the race well. Sacrifice those things which are not going to help you on your way to be the person God has called you to be. If the coach is saying something else, that's not someone sent from God. And it's important. You test. You recognize what is true. But then you apply it yourself in your life and steer your lives by the truth of God's deep love. And this incarnation is so important because it's, it's what bridges the gap between heaven and earth. If Jesus doesn't come, that gap is never bridged and we never sample heaven here on earth and we never have the assurance of what's to come and actually the journey towards the end of our lives becomes one riddled with anxiety, hopelessness, loneliness, sadness, and regret, rather than hopefulness, connectedness with God, a future that is beyond what we see and know, and a life that is going to take us to beyond, to beyond. I thought at the end of this sermon, the right thing for us to do would be to recite the creed. And hopefully, as you <laughs> recite the creed with me, um, you'll hear those things that God is saying, prick up your ears to. And if this is the beginning of the journey, to just mark it in our heads. Um, let it be so, so that we can test what is taught to us. We can test what we watch. We can test what we read and ask whether this is directing us towards the good news of God and Jesus or not. So let's, um, for those who are able, stand.
and will affirm our faith in the words of the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of the Father and he shall come again in glory to judge both the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.